never, I, I never said one, two, three, four. Never said math was my strong point. All right. <laughs> Let's have it. Uh, I hope plants are your strong point. Uh, (laughs) That remains to be seen. (laughs) Today we have a perennial graminoid. It is two to five foot tall, two to three foot wide. It is native from Pennsylvania south to Florida, west as far as Illinois, Kansas, and Texas, and south to northeastern Mexico. And its wetland indicator status is facultative wet. All right. Do you mind if I ask a question? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Um, I think that's light, part, that th- I think that's like what is expected I'll go of us for now. It. Well, yeah. Light <laughs> light requirement. Sun to part shade. All right. Um, I, I don't know how to phrase this. There, I want to ask about the color, but I don't know if it's the seed color, or is it the just the overall color? Um, it's overall green, and I'll give you another question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I guess that's part of it. Is like because there's of uh, the plant I'm thinking of is primarily green, but then gets a different color. So um, fall, like fall. But it's not a fall shade. It's no. like a winter, like winter color. What? Yeah. What? What? Do you have a winter color? color? Do the seeds turn any kind of vibrant color? The plant changes from bright yellow, or changes to bright yellow gold. Okay. All right. Not what I was thinking. All right. Um. I, I'm trying to – I have a couple guesses in my head, all of which I think are wrong. Um, uh, all right. I, I wrote something down. Tom, do you want to – Do I, uh, I want to guess first? Um, yeah. That it turns a gold – he, I do. So yeah. the seed, because yeah. you did ask about that too, turns tan in summer and purplish in fall. That was more what I was looking for. All right. That's what you really asked yeah. for. Does that help you? Uh, it's not exactly what I was thinking of because what I'm thinking of is shorter than that or what is is a different color. So now I'm going to go with Aragrasa Spectabilis. Did we do that one before? I don't think so. I'm going to go See, with I that thought one. That got, I didn't think that got that tall. It doesn't. All right. But that I know. But but that's one of the things I found out about heights is a lot of times like what we know is the height is yeah. not the listed height when you go to USDA. All right. So I, I'm gonna say um Elemis Riparius. Why am I drawing a blank on the a, common name? It's uh, a Riverbank Wild Rye. Riverbank Wild Rye, yeah. Neither of you got it. Today is Northern Sea Oats. I, I was that thinking that one, but I honestly, I what threw me off was the light requirements because I thought that was sh- was part shade to shade for that one, and I wasn't expecting a full sun on Chasmanthium. That's 
That's why I asked that question. I think you're lying to me. You're listening to A Native Plant Every Day with Tom and Fran. Happy Tuesday. Welcome back to A Native Plant Every Day with Tom and Fran. I am a very upset with himself, Fran. And I'm Tom. And I'm Christiane. <laughs> Today's plant is Chasmanthium latifolium, which is northern sea oats. It's also called river oats and wild oats. Um, I'm very upset that I didn't guess this one and I had it in my head. Uh, as we talked about, it's two to five foot tall and two to three foot wide with a wetland indicator status of facultative wet. The native range is from PA south to Florida, west to Illinois, Kansas, and Texas, and then south to northeastern Mexico. It is a cool season perennial graminoid from the Poeaceae family. It does not have any salt tolerance, but it is a popular low-maintenance shade grass used to prevent soil erosion along streams, and it is clump-forming. Notice how it says shade grass there? Google told me <laughs> sun to part shade. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, one thing I'll back up to here is uh, the the cool season grass aspect because I don't know if – I'm sure a lot of people do know it. Maybe I'm underestimating some of our listeners. But you have what are considered cool season grasses and then warm season grasses. And basically what all that refers to is when you're going to uh, – they're going to become vigorous. Um, so your cool season grasses are – Elmus, uh, which Fran guessed, yeah. Elmus uh, riparius, virginicus, they're cool season grasses. Uh, Chasmanthium, I did not realize was a cool season grass. It makes sense. Um, it does make sense. I wouldn't have guessed that either, but it makes sense. So these things, uh, when you're getting into March and April, are going to start emerging and then pushing through. And then May, they're they're going to be kind of uh, available and then going out throughout the rest of the year. But you might see them start to, I don't want to say struggle, Um they might not look as great over the course of the summer when it's super hot. Uh, another good example of cool season grasses that are non-native are most of your turf, turf grasses. Yeah. So that's why one of the reasons your lawn looks great in uh, early in the year, like in March, April, May, it's starting to come to life. It's super green, lush, growing great. And all of a sudden you hit July, August, uh, early September, and it's hot. You're stressing it by mowing it all the time, and that's why it starts to brown up because it's not, it's not for those – uh, yeah. or, um, it's not as great in those conditions. Your warm season grasses are like little blue stem, uh, big blue stem, uh, broom sedge, those kind of things that are then going to appear a lot later in the year. And then that heat of the summer, they look awesome. And they look good, fantastic. A good indicator for that, and it's not always, but uh, is sunlight. Um, mm-hmm. Most of those full sun or facultative upland. And it's, again, not because Spartina altiflora, which is an obligate as a, as a warm season grass, but – um, if you're germinating, germinating it, it's not just heat that you need. You need sunlight or length of day. Yeah. So yep. if it's a full shade, more than likely it's it needs yep. that cool. It's a it's a cool season grass. If it's full sun, it's a yeah. A and that's actually grass. a good point, friend, because it's not as much dictated by temperature yeah. as it is by photo period. So it's that yep. day length and light intensity, which is was driving the plant to to start growing and emerge. It's not. Uh, temperature plays a role, but it's not uh, as the only role. Exactly. So, so it does have uh, light green lancelot, lancelate leaves that are reminiscent of bamboo, and the blades uh, are up to 10 inches long and only one inch wide. Uh, but the one of the 
the the biggest uh, identifiers are the drooping oat-like flower spikelets uh, from slender arching branches. It's reminiscent of um, Uniola paniculata, which is uh, – I don't know if it's like just sea oats, which is a mm. dune grass in the south. that has a very similar seed heads, and I, I think that's where you get those – that oat uh, name from. Uh, and it has the distinctive flat nodding seed heads that resemble oats, emerge green in spring, turn tan in summer, and then purplish in fall. It would have been nice had she given the the seed head. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, and asked like, for the shape, like, no, and just, I would have uh, been <laughs> biting my tongue as yeah. how not to say oat-shaped. <laughs> yeah, and that's an, another really cool aspect yeah. of it is those seed heads are flat and almost – I always think they kind of look slightly like a rattlesnake. How they like overlap in yeah, a way, yeah, um, but they are flat, which is also really interesting uh, and provides a great uh, focal point in your home landscape because it's just like an extra added texture that you're not going to get from a lot of other plants. Totally. So um, uh, each uh, did you say that each panicle is seven? No, I did okay, not. Okay, yeah, each panicle consists of seven to twenty flat greenish spikelets that dangle the one side of the comb. Each spikelet is scaly, oval, and about one inch long. As the flowers transition in the seed, they morph into light tan pendant oak-like clusters, and uh, that bloom time is June to September. And um, and then the fall color, as Christiane mentioned, is that bright yellow gold foliage, especially in summer in summer sites. I have it behind my pool in like a three-quarter sun area, maybe even, okay. maybe even eighty percent sun. It gets a little uh, bit of afternoon shade, yeah. and they get this, like, awesome golden color. I still have them standing, and they've started to fade over the winter, but they're, like, this really awesome color uh, for those late summer pool parties. Now that we're getting to the, the light requirements, it's funny that there's a whole other sentence here that wasn't uh, given. <laughs> it's sun to part ask. shade. I did ask. It's sun to part shade but thrives in moist sites yet quite tolerant of dry conditions when growing in shade settings. You didn't ask about moisture requirements. All right. All right. Uh, it doesn't have any serious pest or disease problems. Uh, plants are relatively resistant if cultural preferences are met, which I think is in most – like a lot of times that's that's most of the cases. The plants hold soil with their vigorous fibrous root system and expand into colonies uh, from underground rhizomes and it self-seeds and may spread aggressively. For a neat appearance, cut dead stalks back uh, to the basil rosette in mid to late winter, um, or don't. You know, yeah. I, I didn't, yeah, <laughs> and no, I think I they still think look cool. Yeah, but right, um, right. and then uh, if the leaves exceed two feet tall by spring, and you'd like to keep it shorter, cut them in half in May to June, uh, which is uh, sometimes referred to as the Chelsea chop. <laughs> and uh, I don't actually, I don't even know if that's accurate. If I've, I've heard people refer to cutting I, back your garden yeah. to the Chelsea chop, but I don't know if it's just specific things or can you just i don't use know them on everything that's a good question i, I just said that i yeah i'm i made i stated a fact and then i was like <laughs> i don't actually know if that's true all right you know what <laughs> i'm i'm writing it down because maybe that can be yeah part of our native plants healthy planet new segment yeah yeah so. um and then the seeds are eaten by small mammals and uh, granivorous birds leaves provide graze for mammals uh, stems and leaves are used as nesting material for birds and then leaves are eaten by caterpillars of the pepper and salt skipper, Bell's roadside skipper, and bronze roadside skipper butterflies. It's also a larval host for the northern pearly eye caterpillars. That's a lot of uses. Oh, yeah. um, the cut seed stalks are decorative in dried arrangements. I know we've done it here in, in, in centerpieces. Uh, it's a good sub for pompous grass, which is Cortadaria uh, 
Sealowena, and Sweet Clover, which I don't need to say the botanical for that. Yeah. It's just Sweet Clover. Uh, and it's good uh, Good companion plants for this would be Sweet Spire, Iris, Turtlehead, Coneflower, or Cardinal Flower, uh, which, yeah, I, it, it adds a good texture and a good color. I think that would, would make for a nice planting right there. All right, let's hit the lightning round. I have some redemption to uh, to to serve up. <laughs> I'm gonna have fun. <laughs> All right, go ahead. True false. This species was formerly known as Uniola latifolia. True false. The flowers attract few insects because they are wind pollinated. True false. It can be grown in pots as well for use in urban areas. True, false, it's tolerant of black walnuts. And then true, false, if a colony expands too aggressively, remove unwanted clumps, and you can then transplant those elsewhere. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing I have at least two of these wrong. I am too. I am too. Um, that would be my guess. The reason I'm, and this is like the the high school test taker in me. Every single one I've listed is true. <laughs> so I'm assuming that, that's statistically probably not right. All right, but uh, I might just go back and change. No, it. no, no, add no, a no. little, add no. a little middle line. <laughs> some of these. All right, go ahead. First off, is true. The species was formerly known as Uniola latifolia. Then Thank it, you for knowing about Uniola paniculata. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> the next is true. The flowers attract a uh, few insects because they are wind pollinated. Then it's true. They can be grown in pots as well as or for use in urban areas. All right. It's true that they are tolerant <laughs> of black walnuts. <laughs> And it's true that if a <laughs> colony expands too aggressively, you can remove unwanted lumps. Well, considering I had two as false, yeah. I went three for five. Statistically speaking, Tom Tom was the outlier. He scored a hundred percent. I got the you know the Juglins one. I almost went true, and I'm like, eh, I think she's just trying to to throw us. And the yeah. uh, what was what was number two? Number two was. Uh, being wind pollinated. Okay, that w- those were the two I got wrong. So Tom yeah. crosses it I'm, ten to five. I'm sorry I threw off your game. There. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just laughing because I'm like Tom caught me. Wow. All right. So uh, Tom's kind of already answered this question. Would you put it in your yard? You already oh, have. Yeah, it in your I have yard. it in my yard. I love this plant. Um, I think it's just a really cool. It, it stays fairly short. Uh, and how how we used it is we have. Uh, if you look out our back kitchen window, which is like a big bay window, you see overlook our pool, and then there's still a lot of yard behind the pool. We wanted some landscaping at the back of the pool, but we didn't want to just block off our sight line because we have a now three-year-old almost. And uh, as he grew older, we're like, he's going to be in the backyard. We want to be able to see him and not just block off a whole section of the yard. So that was like some tall stuff in the corners of the pool area and then a little low area in the middle so that's what we have like a line of the river oats because they're just tall enough to kind of like keep the structure there and make it so it's a one continuous bed but you can still see through and um and yeah they were just like 
all starting in September. They were just golden, and then the sun would shine, and kind of looked like Andropogon virginicus in the sunshine in the winter, where it just like glows in a way. Um, it was like that, and the seed heads are just really cool. It's a really interesting plant awesome. that I like a how, lot. How about you, Christian? Yes, um, I can only imagine what a breeze moving through yeah. a clump of this would look like. That yes, absolutely. Yeah, I would totally put it in my yard. I'm surprised I don't have it, but I'm already thinking of places where I'd like to put it. It's got to be somewhere off the back deck where I can appreciate it. It's not a plant that comes – a lot of the grasses aren't like when you're thinking about what to plant in your yard are not the ones that come up first. But but this is one where it's not just going to be a grass in a sense. It's going to be other stuff as well. So – Cool. So another great plant. Uh, Tomorrow we will be back with another episode, and until then – Keep it native. Thank you for listening to A Native Plant Every Day with Tom and Fran. Hey, everyone. This is Fran. And Tom. And we just wanted to give you a quick reminder to tune in every Friday to our other podcast, Native Plants Healthy Planet. Yeah, so on Native Plants Healthy Planet, we dive into all different kinds of subjects revolving around native plants and our ecology and having a healthy planet. We have guests from uh, from colleges, from other podcasts, from different nonprofits we work with, even authors. It's a really good time. We hope you join us over there. Make sure you tune in, and until then, keep it native.